WHCM-FM 88.3 Palatine, Illinois. My name is Noah Festenstein. Here talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. So let's get us started today with the 226th installment of Monday Madness Sports Talk. All the way from your very own Harper College Radio, all the way to our Radio DePaul Sports. And always on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. As it is March 7th, 2022. Glad to have you back with me here to experience some sports talk. And it's been a little bit since I've done an episode. Had to take a little bit of time off just to take a mental breather from this show. It's been... It was... was, a heck of a year in 2021 for Monday Madness Sports Talk in the growth and development it had. And I felt like a month was a perfect amount of time to just breathe and skip the Olympics because you know that this Olympics was just the lowest watched Olympics in, I think, history, if I was correct. I, I mean, I just didn't invest in it. I know the Super Bowl was big. Really happy about the outcome that was. Just, I don't think I missed much, but the biggest thing I feel like the storyline has been throughout the past month going on to now is that of the MLB and the MLBPA Players Association are basically sworn enemies at this point. They, they've been like this for a long time, and there's been some... It's I've always seen baseball as a sport where the rules can always change. Remember, like, in the backyard when you're playing wiffle ball or you're playing a, a good game of backyard baseball, and you're like to your friends, oh, this is not a rule. You got to do this. You got to do that and everything. And you know how, like, the umpire is, like, the most yelled-at referee in all of sports? This is the reason why. It's because baseball has so many nooks and crannies, unwritten rules, et cetera, that people agree and disagree on, and there's a huge disagreement and a huge level of disorganization on behalf of Major League Baseball's commissioner. I don't think I have to speak his name. It's kind of like Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter reference. He can't speak his name right now because he's just that evil. He's like, yeah, it's just, it's just I can't really imagine how much bad this can be for the sport of baseball. I'm going to get into a lot more about that in the first segment of today's show because that's what's really boiling me over, especially since I can't go to Wrigley Field and watch my Chicago Cubs play. I have tickets to go to Fenway in September, my first time there. It's a bucket list item for me. I just want to see my baseball, okay? So let's get this over with. This is all that's on my mind. I can't really get over who's going to be the best teams this year, who's not, until we get an agreement done. So we do have some progress made tonight, and I'm going to make that announcement as uh, the segment comes. The second segment will be that of NBA basketball. Chicago Bulls is the best thing that's going on in Chicago right now, I would say. But obviously, they're not full strength, but they have made some improvements to the roster. And a lot of younger guys, a lot of different uh, guys have been put in the lineup together. It's just been a good mix of guys that have played together in certain points of the year, and I think the chemistry has built to the point where they believe they can make it far into the playoffs. I'll talk more about what I think about that in the second segment. Third segment, I want to talk about mixed martial arts 
because I've been missing out on a lot of that the past couple months, and I want to talk about what happened this past weekend in UFC 272 because even though it wasn't a championship pay-per-view card, there was a big uh, beef to settle with Colby Covington and former close friend and teammate Jorge Masvidal was a very good fight, I thought, and maybe a little closer than some people thought, but at the same time, uh, it's they're, both of their careers are kind of complicated at this point, with Jorge Masvidal being around 39 years old and Colby Covington just turning 34 a couple weeks ago. So uh, these two have different career paths, and I think they're not going to see each other at all the rest of their careers. I think that beef is settled. Colby Covington is a much better fire, fighter than uh, Jorge Masvidal. I'll talk about that fight and, of course, the other fights on the card, especially my one of my favorite fighters in UFC right now, Bryce Mitchell. I was really happy to see him get the win up against Edson Barboza. So we'll talk more about that as the time comes. And if I have time, I want to talk Champions League because there's some games tomorrow and there's games on Wednesday. But most notably, I would say Wednesday with the PSG game is going to be a really good game. Uh... So I'm really looking forward to some Champions League soccer, talk about that. And, of course, my own Manchester United not looking so hot. I uh, haven't been looking very good the past couple months. And uh, I said that they'd be a bit different team by March, and I could have not been any more wrong. So uh, we'll definitely talk about some soccer if I have the time. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a long day here on the 226th edition of Monday Man of Sports Soccer. I hope you guys stick around for it. It's a late one tonight. And the Bulls game, I think, is going on as we speak. So be good timing for that segment. So while you're watching the Bulls, here's some baseball here on Monday Mass Sports Talk. Thanks for tuning in here on 88.3 FM Northwest Suburbs. I'll be back in a bit. to the baseball segment because I know who, who one person's fading out. That's definitely Rob Manfred. Whew. <sighs> I think it is safe to say at this point he is the worst commissioner in sports currently at least. I wouldn't say of all time. Maybe. I mean, what is the expectation? What is the line you have to cross to say you are the worst of all time of something so uh i don't know rob manfred has kind of made people lose faith in a sport that is so universally loved around america and it breaks my heart to see that collapse because you know youth baseball up to college up to minor leagues etc there's a culture to it um I want to give example to uh, one guy that I saw on Instagram today. Uh, I want to start off the segment of saying this because I just thought it stood out. Uh, I want to shout out one of my favorite players in recent Cubs history. You, you, you know his name if you're a Cubs fan. Matt Caesar. Uh, 
he obviously had some moments, but not the complete causes to why the Cubs are so dominant. However, he was a great baseball player, and he had a home. He had a grand slam against the Braves one cloudy, foggy day that I was at Wrigley, sitting near back, near the backstop at home play, and he just hits a grand slam, and it go, everyone goes crazy. So he posts something on Instagram today. He's like, you know, I'm retiring from baseball. So it's a retirement post. So he um, is saying how much baseball has influenced his life and how he would have, you know, not had a, a life. Uh, I, I don't He doesn't really imagine a life outside of baseball in, in terms of what he's learned and how he has really – shaped himself as a human being with the sport and how that has really, really changed his life and helped him find love for other things such as his wife and such as, you know, everything else around him in his life. And he made that great post. So I would recommend looking up Matt Caesar, uh, S C Z U. I it's a very complicated last name, but if you look him up and what Google, you'll find the name. <laughs> Anyways, I I thought that was really um, sweet and everything. And you talk about you know players who come from the Caribbean and Cuba and overseas, where it's so hard to get to uh, the United States, and they have to basically compromise their entire life to do that. And now that the MLB is going through all of this and everything. It limits the opportunity, and uh, that is just not good. There's so many little things that are being affected by such a big cause in baseball. Players want X, Y, and Z, and the MLB wants W, Q, R, S, whatever. They're obviously not on the same page, and they still aren't on the same page. So recently... As of at least 10 minutes ago, at least from what um, I've been following on Twitter, is that Rob Manfred came up and said that, yes, postponed, you will say for opening day, but uh, it is not out of the picture yet that the MLB cannot have a 162-game season. So that says something, right? You might get, I mean, we're not going to get baseball as soon as we want, of course, and it might be way, way beyond what we expect, but I completely doubt that we're going to see a 162-game season. I just think Manfred wants to continue what he really thinks is helping his cause, and, oh, wait, we might delay opening day, but at least we can make the whole season 162 games. I mean... Most recently, we just saw a 60-game season. So I really don't think that when all of these players have not been playing for so long, they're out of shape, they haven't been able to go to spring training, it's going to be even a shortened spring training. I do not foresee a 162-game season and expect a lot of different players to stay healthy through that. It is not going to be a 162-game season. And this goes to show... The ignorance of Rob Manfred, right? I cannot believe this man runs the entire show. It's, I mean, embarrassing to say baseball is my favorite sport. It's been my favorite sport for basically a decade now. Ever since I saw 
2011, the Cardinals went in the World Series. I fell in love when, like, the Cubs were making their rise again and the Red Sox made their rise in 2004 and the White Sox went in the World Series. Like, I fell in love. That's when the game was pretty good. Even Bud Selig was all right. Not the best, but at least not Rob Manfred. Anyways... There is a money issue with the players and the owners. The relationship is flip-flops from what we saw in 94 when the World Series was canceled. And basically saying, oh, wow, well, and the owners aren't getting what they want in 94, but now the players don't want, don't aren't getting what they want here in 2022. So it's just something we haven't seen before from an organizational standpoint, from a player's perspective, from an organizational's perspective in terms of all the teams, all the minor league teams, and now all of our attention goes to college baseball and uh, what we see in other, like, farm leagues. I know the Schomburg Boomers are around town here, around Harper College, so we got that coming up. <laughs> and we got the Chicago Dogs coming up. Big Dogs fan over here. Uh, so that's just where we're heading right now in baseball. Like our, our favorite times and going to the bleacher segment at Wrigley Field. Are they, are they over? Like is this just not what we – I mean, give the fans at least something because you're killing the sport essentially. I think baseball – I mean, with all, like, what I said in the intro, there's so many nooks and crannies. There's so many different rules and needs for different players and uh, how that can be adjusted. And umpires have such a hard job. You know, th there's confusion whether or not or arguments or whether or not umpires should be robotic and stuff like that. And, you know, all this other stuff, all these rules today, big rules today, is that the MLB and the MLBPA agreed that there are going to be no shifts, so the shift band. Um, the biggest thing I had a problem with in the shifts were that the third baseman can go to the second base side and cover the hole there for a, a lefty pole hitter. I did not like that. I thought that was just weird. It just wasn't like, you know, a third baseman should be playing on the third base side, not beyond the shortstop or even that the second baseman which is crazy. And yet, it, when you score it in your scorebook, right, is I remember the days, oh, it's an easy 5-3 putout. I can easily write that in my scorebook. But then if it's a 5-3 putout at second base, I'm like, I'm still putting it as a 5-3 putout because the third baseman here in the hole at second base to the right of the second baseman makes the play to the first baseman. It's so confusing. So I, I agree with this shift change. In terms of that reason, I hope that the double play shift is still in play and stuff like that. Just because, like, that's strategy and that makes sense. I just don't agree with the fact that, yeah, positions can't overlap each other. You got to make it natural. The positions have to stay natural. I mean, maybe on just before the pitch. Obviously, the second baseman or whoever can cross-cross on a specific play, ground ball up the middle, whatever. But I agree with that. And then another... Um, agreement is the pitch count so when we talk about before the pitch how fast does the pitcher get in terms of pitching well 
a lot of different pitches. And this is what I love about baseball is pitchers, even hitters for that matter, have a variety of different styles. And they want to uh, have a slow windup. And the batter has a nice, relaxed um, amount of time to load and be able to hit. By the way, sorry, if you hear... I don't know if you can hear it beyond these walls, but there's a symphony orchestra playing down here in Building A at Harper College. There's like 30 different people playing violins, cellos, whatever. It's loud. So if you hear that behind, I love it. I think they're playing great. But if you hear it, just know that that's what it is. Anyways, back to that. Uh, pitch count, I think that it is an okay rule. I know that... It's very unpopular based on what I've seen and people react. Uh, it, I would say the pitch clock does speed up the game, but you're going to see different pitchers who have different styles. I, I see Clayton Kershaw has has a nice slow warm-up. Uh, Johnny Cueto especially. Um, you know, some pitchers that come to mind, Kyle Hendricks for the Cubs likes to be relaxed and take his time sometimes. And it's going to be like 20 seconds where the pitcher has to do something. I don't know what the penalty is. If they don't, maybe like a ball count or maybe the if you get a warning like a balk and then the second warning, the if there's a runner on base, they advance. But that could win a ball game. I wouldn't win a ball game in 20, 2018, right? It's stupid. It just doesn't make sense when you – now that I kind of like roll it off the tongue, I can see why it's unpopular. I just called it stupid. So I, I don't like the rule. I don't like that it's a – I, I think 20 seconds may be too little, maybe 30 seconds. But, I mean, this the game is supposed to be a relaxed game. It's supposed to take time. That's why I love going to the ballpark, spending three hours there. I know it's tough to watch on TV, but when you know that there's crunch time coming up, it's in the bottom of the seventh tied game or a one-run game, you want to pop up the TV and say, oh, wow, we got two innings left. That's 35 minutes of my time right there. I can easily watch on my MLB.com app the score and then be able to pull it up on my phone. If I want to watch the game. So that's why I'm not like too worried about the amount of time. That's personally. I know a lot of people don't like being at a game and it's going by slow. But I feel like that's the beauty of the game. Because you see games like soccer, which is always two hours. And then football, always three hours. Always an hour and a half, hour and a half, half. And then you see basketball, always usually two and a half, three hours. So like baseball is always different. Like that's why it's fun to Google the, you know, here, let's do it right now. What is the... Longest game in MLB history. Let's do that. And we'll see the shortest game. I think it's like 52 minutes. So longest baseball game. And I know it depends on playoffs and stuff or a time of game or innings. Uh, so the longest game by innings in Major League Baseball was a 1-1 tie in 1920 between the Boston Braves and the Brooklyn Robins. Ending in 27 innings. Or 26 innings, sorry. It's still long. It's a really long game. That's nearly three games worth of baseball right there in one. Uh, if it wasn't, if it was 27, that would have been three, but nearly. Uh, in terms of uh, 1984, White Sox and Brewers went 25 innings. That ended. The White Sox won that. Good, good. Chicago wins. Let's go. Seven to six. They beat the Brewers in extra innings. Twenty-five innings. But think it. Um, 
Yeah, so the two teams played until 17 innings, and the game was suspended at 1 a.m. with a score tie 3-3. And all of a sudden, the next day, when the game resumed, the Brewers took the lead again in the 21st inning on a three-run homer by Ben Ogilvie. And then Chicago came back in the bottom half of the inning uh, by an RBI, I think, double by Carlton Fisk and Tom Patrick. And the two teams played on to the 25th. Very interesting. At least the uh, the White Sox won that. Anyways, what's the shortest game in MLB history? Shortest game in MLB history. I think it's 52 minutes. 31 minutes! Wow. Well, this was, I don't think, an MLB game. It is? Well, it's on MLB.com. Anyways, it said 31 minutes. They said, quote, a blistering 31 minutes. But uh, it was 1916 between Asheville Tourists and the Winston-Salem Twins. So look that one up. Anyways, back on track here. I think that shortening games in MLB, I mean, it takes out of the experience sometimes. That's why I thought it was weird when they put the runner on second base in the playoffs. But that was just because, well, well, that was for 2020 and 2021. They kept the runner at second. I think that was because of COVID. I think they're just going to take that out right now just because they wanted to shorten games because of COVID. Uh, so I don't know how they're going to want to treat that now. But they're not going to have to treat it in a 162-game season. I highly doubt that this is not going to be a 162-game season. I just think that maybe the interleague games will be like shortened, maybe like – uh, if, it's, if it was like a three-game series, maybe make it into like a, a one-game series or one or two-game series between an AL team and then call it at that. But then you're still going to be spending the same travel costs. So the MLB is losing money as we speak. If you if you had MLB stock, let's. I mean, this is this isn't a podcast or a radio show about stocks, but uh, I do kind of am curious. MLB stocks are they plummeting? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't know. It's not giving me actual stock listings. Maybe there's just no stock for it or just I'm bad at stocks. I want to go into stocks soon. But my mind keeps telling me no. So, so if someone can influence me into stocks, not on this podcast because we're talking sports, but maybe we'll get into stocks one day. But they're plummeting. Just imagine the diagraph of a, a line diagraph of it just going down, down, down. That's basically the MLB for you right now. In terms of respect level and financial debts, probably, I don't know, who's not in debt these days? Uh, anyways, anything else? Really? I mean, baseball, I really just, from like a Chicago sports standpoint, we talk from the Cubs, you know, we're still waiting. The Cubs are at least are still waiting a big signing. Maybe it will be Correa. Who knows? Uh, it could be another pitcher, but good thing Marcus Stroman was secured before the lockout. Uh, at least the Cubs made some progress already this offseason. Uh, the White Sox, I think that this is not helping the White Sox cause right now with this lockout. It, it's just going to over time diminish the the kind of 
anticipation for this season because there's a lot of it for this White Sox team. You know, they now since they have what the Cubs had in 2015 was playoff experience, now they can really, really uh, atone for what they did not do in that postseason. And they are a much better team right now, and they have time to even build upon what they have right now. This White Sox team can contend for a championship in 2022, of course, if Rob Manfred wakes up. And, of course, if they stay stay in the mindset that they ended 2021 with, with saying, oh, we could have done much better this season, which I think they could have, but they need to bolster some pitching, from a I think from a starting pitching standpoint, at least a consistent starting rotation. I think getting um, workmen, what was it? Yeah, ready. I think the White Sox already secured a pretty solid bullpen, but I, I think that maybe they should consider trading Craig, uh, Craig Kimbrell, uh, just because it you you know that Liam Hendricks is your closer. He is your closer. Like, the only thing that you would see Craig Kimbrell be good at is if, of course, Liam Hendricks gets injured or he's gone for a little bit. God forbid, knock on wood, I hope he doesn't because I love love Liam Hendricks just as a backup guy. But I just think you can't have both of them. And I think there's a a, a thing, especially baseball and some things in life, of course, is you can't have too many good things or else it's going to become bad things. I think that's the case of the White Sox closing rotation for pitching. So we got to consider that for the White Sox and trading Craig Kimbrell. I think that they can get a lot for him, especially from a team that desperately needs a closer because I think there's a few of them out there. Uh, so just looking out for you there. Um, but beyond that, yeah, that's Chicago baseball. And... Uh, Rob Manfred, get get it all together, or else I'm coming for you. Just kidding. I, I'm coming to see you at a baseball game, and I'm going to thank you for making baseball happen again. So make that happen. Make it happen, Rob. I'm counting on you. The whole baseball world is counting on you, Rob, or else I'm going to become the biggest fan of the KBO and move to Korea because of you, Rob Manfred. Don't make me move to Korea, please, Ryan Manfred. I, I mean, I'll, I'll move to Japan actually. If anything, if anything, I'm moving to Japan. They have the best roller coasters there and the best baseball culture in my eyes. They they love their baseball in Japan, love them. Like, <laughs> I mean, I I think it is safe to say a, a part of my bucket list is to go see a game at the Tokyo Dome and a couple outdoor stadiums around Japan because Japan isn't large, and uh, I would love to go there someday. So uh, yeah. Let me know if there's any recommendations on that end. Uh, but as far as that goes, I don't really have much else to say about baseball. Um, I I mean, in, in conclusion, I'm very stressed out about it. I'm very disappointed about it. I really want my baseball back because you know that throughout time, listening to me on this program is that I it's like the most wonderful time of the year, late March and April, once baseball is, you know, ending spring training and then we get closer to opening day, opening day comes around, I'm celebrating baseball being back and all the good notifications on my phone that baseball is happening. I look at all the highlights from the day and it's so beautiful and I am not getting that. So what I now have to look forward to 
is more negotiations, more drama, and more disappointment. And I'm not looking forward to that. And you know that you're not looking forward to that. And Ron Manfred, behind his teeth, is laughing out loud. So, uh, yeah. Now I'm looking forward to some basketball. NBA basketball with the Bulls. And we also got some March Madness coming up. We got the madness on madness upon madness here on Monday Madness Sports Talk. Thank you so much for joining me here on the 226th installment. It's been a good one. So I will take it to it. I'm going to go to break. And I click at the button. So goodbye. Welcome back to the madness here on March 7th, 2022. At your live here on 88.3 FM, Harper College Radio. And bringing me in is All My Life, the radio edit from Erlinson Lynn and Babs Wayne. So let's get it going with some basketball because we got some stuff to look forward to as i mentioned already in this segment it's march and you know what march means for basketball oh yeah the best basketball tournament of the year by far is that of march madness and obviously as a big depaul basketball blue demon fan as any harper college fan should be of is a depaul blue demon basketball fan even though they are very heartbreaking but when you're talking about march basketball you're rooting for teams like loyola basketball who were just clinched another back or clinched back-to-back march madness bursts so they will be playing in the tournament again this year and uh, that'll be a very, very good thing, especially for Sister Jean. When the last time that happened, I think Sister Jean was 44 years old, was when uh, the last time Loyola went back-to-back NCAA tournaments. So uh, good thing about that. I'm glad that they did that, but I'm very disappointed with the DePaul Blue Demons and their constant, constant... Failure in the Big East Conference, and I feel like if this was European football slash soccer, uh, you'd say DePaul would be relegated in this Big East standings if that was ever the case. Yeah, but DePaul just isn't playing that quality basketball they need to. They, They did have some good wins against teams like Marquette, and they've had some close affairs with Villanova and... Xavier and everything, and yeah, that's nice, but you got to get wins, and that's what it comes down to when you want to be considered for this tournament. So I'm really looking forward to what happens uh, when, we, when, we, when we look down to the bracket where everything's going to shape up. I hope that by next show, I think we're going to get a next bracket, our, our bracket. So I think Selection Sunday is upon us, which means that it's going to be Selection Monday on podcast for next show. Uh, I hope that I would be able to uh, have a whole show dedicated to that and maybe talk more baseball and anything else that needs to be talked about at that time. But another thing that needs to be talked about right now is Chicago Bulls basketball because they do deserve all the attention they are getting here in Chicago. Currently, DeMar DeRozan, if he is not top five in your MVP, then you are not 
watching the Chicago Bulls on a constant basis. I know there are some people ahead of him. I know that DeMar DeRozan is doing other things on a consistent basis that other players aren't doing in the league, which is phenomenal because that's exactly what the Bulls needed. That they, they saw that in Zach Levine and other players that you saw with Derrick Rose. And, of course, you don't have to mention his name and MJ. We all know what we saw in the 90s. And um, so we know a consistent guy when we see it. When, when a guy goes nearly 10 games in a row, scoring 30, 35-plus points a game, that's when you know that this guy is special. So uh, you don't even have to say it otherwise. So the problem with this Bulls team at the moment is obviously in what – if you, like I said, are watching this Bull, uh, Bulls team on a consistent basis, you can recognize that they are indeed not at full strength, but they are figuring themselves out. And that's what I said, like I said earlier, is that when you aren't at full strength, you have the time to play with players that you don't normally play with, and you are able to build yourself and your chemistry with these players and are able to figure yourself out. And it also helps Billy Donovan, who is – you know, adjusting and is learning how to work with this team, especially with their needs. And then you got guys who are injured like Patrick Williams and Alex Caruso and stuff like that. Uh, by the way, hashtag screw um, Grayson Allen, the menace of all time. Uh, so you talk about these guys who are on the bench and they're just rooting everybody on. And it's just a good energy with this Bulls team. It's the proper energy. Now, I did say that they are consistently top three in the Eastern Conference. That is not the case anymore. They have been on a losing stretch of late, but they are currently playing right now as we speak. Let's see what the score is on that one. If I can get, get you guys a score update, it is 121 to 106, and that is your final for today at the well, – what stadium is it? Is it uh, in Philadelphia? Is that uh, – Mm, what arena is that? I don't want to look it up because I know what it is. Wells Fargo Arena. That's what it is. Uh, at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Final 76ers pull ahead of the Bulls 121-106. Now, do not let that confuse you, though, because this team is much better than we think. And uh, we saw 23 points from tonight from DeRozan and Levine at 24. So, yeah. This team is slowing down, but then they're realizing at the same time, like, these, this is not the team we're going to watch in the playoffs. Like, if we're going to go to, into a seven-game series with the Philadelphia 76ers and have a good DeRozan, good Vukovic, good Caruso on the court, uh, it's going to be hell to pay for other teams in a seven-game series. So the basic premise of what I am saying here for this Bulls team as they are now sitting Fourth place in the Eastern Conference, which is two games exactly ahead of the 37 and 27 sixth place Cavaliers and four and a half, actually five exactly ahead of the Raptors. So that does, so you need to be top six to be in the playoffs as a whole. Now the Bulls, whoever sixth seed is playing the third seed. I don't care where the Bulls are in any place. In this situation, I do not care. This Bulls team needs to be in the top six. I don't care if they're one. I don't care if they're six. They just need to be in the playoffs at the end of the day, and they need to stay healthy because once it's playoff time, it's a whole darn new season. That's what the playoffs are about, even in hockey. You've seen it with the Blackhawks on 
Um, the Blues, especially when they won the Stanley Cup, they were like one of the worst teams in the regular season. And then, bam, they won the Stanley Cup. So there's points where anything is possible. Anything is possible in any playoff circumstance. That's why I say when a, a, a playoff baseball team, God forbid if it hopefully happens, plays in a wild card game and then wins and then boom, they're in a five game series with the top team in that league and they have a chance. The Cubs did in 2015. They beat the Cardinals. So anything can happen. So you got to be in a position to win. And that's what I'm saying is look at this Bulls from not just a league perspective because they might actually be a year away from a championship. They might. That's why maybe this year that they should really relish the experience, maybe hopefully be in the playoffs and relish this experience of success with this whole entire team as a, as a core group. It's important. You got to have that if you want to succeed in the future. So... That's why this Bulls team is going to be good for a while to come. I think I would hope in the next three to four years this is what the Bulls team, these are the results that we get when we see the Bulls play on the Madhouse of Madison. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm really, really, really hoping that Caruso comes back soon. Uh, I really hope that, that this team can start really meshing together come playoff time because there really is only 19 games left in the season for this Bulls team. So let's look at the rest of what we see uh, in this bull schedule. So right now, uh, as of tonight, losing to the 76ers by a score of 121 to 106. The Bulls play the Pistons on Wednesday night at 6 in Detroit. So you got a game there in Detroit, and then they go back to Chicago for a game against Cleveland. That is at 7 a.m. So back to next Monday at 9 p.m., they'll be in Sacramento playing the Kings. And then they'll have a West Coast trip against really good West coast teams that's the jazz that's the suns so if you really look at it like this it is a very tough schedule for this bulls team which is exactly why i say they need to be at least 50 50 come the next 10 games because as the season winds down it might get a little easier but you never know so this bulls team needs to get good wins at good times and they have but a lot of these games have been close Look at the schedule and look at down all these scores and tell me when the Bulls win that it hasn't been a close game. Right now, the Bulls are on a losing streak. I think it's like their worst losing stretch of the season right now. They're on a five-game losing streak. The last win was against Atlanta. Well, no. They're la yeah, it was against uh, yeah Atlanta. And then they lost the Grizzlies, Heat, Atlanta, Milwaukee, and now the Philadelphia 76ers. So some hardship going on. This has been the worst stretch of this bowl season so far. Um, so they need these they need these guys back as soon as possible because before it's too late, you don't want this Bulls fall, team falling off the map and then becoming a playing team and then their season getting destroyed from there. You don't want to see that. You want to see this team... Have a nice fresh start with a fresh team. And that fresh start is going to be a top six spot in the playoffs where they know that they won't be facing too tough competition in the first round where they can get used to the playoff format and then run from there. I think this Bulls team can make it. They can. But playoffs, whole new ball game, 
whole new ball game at that point. Same thing for March Madness. So when you fill out your brackets next week, don't be like, oh, Illini is going to make it. Oh, that this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yada, yada, yada. Illini might have a chance. But don't be as high on them as maybe what we were like last year, of course. Uh, but <laughs> I cannot wait for March Madness. That's going to be the the exciting parts of Monday Mass Sports Talk over the next 25 days, I'd say. Um, barring, of course, how many episodes I do. So uh, every other week, I'm going to try to be here in studio from uh, WHCM and then, of course, at, on podcast. But uh, if I haven't mentioned it, I'll mention it again. I am starting up a new blog, but not for sports. I want to get more details into that, but uh, um, that blog does, of course, come with some sort of podcast. So don't be surprised if that happens with along it. Uh, I'll get more into detail about that at the end of the show, so I won't talk about it now, but know that that's coming. So wait until about 9.45. I'll talk more about it. So currently it is live on 88.3 FM, northwest suburbs of Chicago. My Chicagoans, I love you all. Um, It's away from home twice the past couple weeks, and now being home reminds me how much I love my city. Uh, So nice to be here, nice to be home talking to the fine folks of the northwest suburbs hope you're having a good night so far i know it's the it's the start of the week it's gonna be a long week i hope not i mean you you conquered your first day on monday now you got you gotta push it gotta push it gotta push through gotta feel the grind and you're gonna feel it here on monday man of sports talk you're home for sports talk uh here in chicago next up uh UFC, yeah, gonna talk some fighting, yeah, I feel it, UFC 272 is this past weekend, and if you watched it, it was a good time, I mean, something about these non-championship pay-per-views gets to me sometimes, and last night was like that kind of night for UFC, and I'm gonna talk about it here on the 226th installment of Monday Man of Sports Talk, I will see you in a couple of minutes, my fine folks here listening on the beautiful airwaves of 88.3 FM. I will see you guys in just a bit. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the madness here on WHCM FM. Talking all the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. We've reached some beyond topics here as we are going through it with classic Sanox and Zephyr and Powers. So let's get it with what I would say is the classic sport and what was a classic on Saturday night in UFC 272, highlighting the event, Colby Covington. And Jorge Masvidal, two of the more touted welterweights in the UFC. So I'll talk about this event. So uh, before I get to the main events, uh, I'll talk about the other fights that I was able to to, to watch. But uh, my day was not just about watching fights there on Saturday. I had, a, I had a really long day, so a little off the sports topics. And I'll get more into what I will talk about later at the end of the show is... Uh, I was uh, leaving Saturday morning. I had to wake up at 4, caught a plane out of O'Hare because I got plane tickets to go to Georgia, Atlanta, exactly 
and went to Six Flags over Georgia for a day to fulfill my adrenaline needs uh, as I am starting up a blog for that. I'll get into more detail uh, when the show finishes up because I am trying to create as much content as possible to stay engaged. So throughout that day, I didn't really um, have a lot of time to pay attention to like sports and whatever got notification-wise. So I went, did my thing, was able to catch a plane at around 9 o'clock Eastern time. And then so then I got in, into Central time. It was about 10 o'clock. And I pulled up my phone, pulled up the fights, and I was on the Bryce Mitchell fight. So um, I was watching the Bryce Mitchell fight. And uh, I was so happy about that. I wasn't able to watch the first two fights on the pay-per-view, which is okay. I felt like I didn't really miss much. I, I wasn't surprised that Greg Hardy lost to Spivak. Uh, Greg Hardy, of course, I've talked to, about him many times on this show. Uh, he's actually one of the more <laughs> favorite heavyweights on the show, if I really think about it. Uh, I just feel like his UFC career is over. I, I just based on that loss, and I, I did see the replay. So I know that um, he didn't look like he belonged in terms of Fighting top guys to the liking of a 14 and three Spivak. Greg Hardy came in with a seven and four record in the MMA in his MMA career, and Greg Hardy used to be an NFL Pro Bowl linebacker. This dude is a huge guy, and he, you know, changed his sport, changed the way he wanted to, and you know, good for him. He was able to uh, create a career so far in the UFC, and he had some highlight moments, had some fun moments, had some funny uh, cage side moments when. He says, like, yeah, I'm out of breath, and then loses the fight. Um, so, yeah, he had his moments. I think that was the last fight of his contract. May might have another one. I don't know. But if any, I just don't see Greg Hardy's UFC career go any further than what he's just endured the past three fights in which he's lost in. So it was fun while it lasted. Let's just say that. Moving on to welterweight, Kevin Holland and Alex Oliveira, two highlight guys. I love both of these fighters. Uh, the highlight in this fight for me was what happened in the first round. End of the first round was when uh, Alex Oliveira, who's, of course, a submission specialist, uh, got into a Granby roll with Kevin Holland of some sort and was able to pull him down into a rear naked choke from behind on Oliveira's back. But uh, I don't think he went around the neck too much. So Oliveira did that, and then Kevin Holland basically put a two thumbs up, smiling at the camera, saying, I'm okay. And you can see Oliveira right behind him just smiling, laughing about it for just a brief second, and then goes, once the uh, horn sounds at the last second, goes to his corner and just all serious, like, okay, let's get this done. But unfortunately, Alex Oliveira did not get it done as Kevin Holland gets it done in round two, 38 seconds in, uh, knocks out Alex Oliveira. And uh, Kevin Holland, new weight class. Is this good for him? Um, I'm going to start talking about weight cutting because it's a very big topic in UFC and any martial art, wrestling. I've endured it. Uh, it. It is not a fun. It's just an extra element of the sport that makes it much more hard. Uh, and I'll talk about that more as time goes on in this segment. Uh, let's move on to uh, Bryce Mitchell. Here, I want him to be the um, subject of this show right now. Z came in already to this fight ranked 11. We already know that this guy means business. He's had already highlight real knockout submissions, especially submission. This guy's a wrestling expert. And 
when I say expert, I don't mean that just loosely. I mean expert by expert. I know an expert wrestler when I see one, and that is Bryce Mitchell for you. This man comes from Arkansas, uh, really, really grows up, uh, small-town guy, really, really down-to-earth guy, just wants to be noticed, just wants to be loved, and he is loved. I love this guy. He is a great fighter, great human being. I'll talk about that more as I'm about to talk about him and play some of his audio segments here. Uh, fights off against Edson Barboza in what has been an illustrious career for Edson Barboza and one of my favorite spinning wheel kick knockouts and my favorite in any sport call of any awesome moment in sports. Joe Rogan says, uh, I'll, I'll, you know what? After I, I'll, I'll play the audio after I play this uh, audio that I have for Bryce Mitchell. I'll play what Joe Rogan did with that. My favorite Edson Barboza knockout I'll play for you guys. But this is what sets Bryce Mitchell apart. You know, you hear a guy come from small town, not much of a big name, but then comes up and, like, you understand how someone, somebody as big of an athlete and has a platform to do something great in. Bryce Mitchell takes advantage of that. Um, And even just the friendliness, the battles, the warriors, the friends that he makes. um, And this is why Edson Barboza is a legend. And um, I know Bryce Mitchell agrees with me. I know that I would say a lot of other people agree with me. Edson Barboza has had his moments, and this is what he's had to say. Uh, this is Bryce Mitchell in the post-fight interview, what he had to say. Uh, thank you to the UFC and MacLife for this audio. This is what Bryce Mitchell says about Edson Barboza. Right after the fight, I just said that how much I respected him. I told him he was a legend, and then he said he respected me as well. And I said, I just love that, uh, you know, you got wife and kids. I said, that's something that's just, uh, you know, I'd love to be there at that point in my life one day, you know, so I can look up to him in that aspect. And, uh, and I said, I love how you love God. And I said, would you like to say a prayer? And we said a prayer. Yeah, so that is Bryce Mitchell for you there. I'll play another audio clip of him um, because of what happened after the fight and what Bryce Mitchell said in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan. Uh, you know, he's a very religious, very down-to-earth, thanks, every, thanks the higher power and whatever he wants to thank in order for his success to be gratified, right? And you have a lot of these athletes who do that, and... You know, you thank the ones who help you get to this spot. And Bryce Mitchell embraces that. You know, if I was an athlete, if I ever wanted, you know, won a gold medal or whatever, you know, I'd thank my parents for everybody. Everything that, everything, every, I mean, even now, what I have in my life currently, I thank everybody who has helped me, all my family members, all my friends, uh, the people I love, uh, help me get to this point and be, help me become the man I am. Bryce Mitchell embodies how someone feels when they feel like they've been, you know, blessed in a way where you've been, you know, helped guided success. You know, as much as MMA and wrestling, mixed martial arts, jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, etc., is a solo sport, it is also a team sport. And the people around you that support you and everything, that means a lot. And that's why you look at fighters like Edson Barboza and say... This guy has influenced me. He's going to now influence me how to become a good father, maybe how to become a better fighter, and how to become a better human being. 
And in order to help become a better human being is you got to help the people around you who support you. And, you know, throughout Bryce Mitchell's life, he has lived in Arkansas, has developed great relationships with young fans and young people who might be struggling. So this is something that I really enjoyed. Um, so after the fight, Bryce Mitchell to Joe Rogan said, I am donating half of my $45,000 purse to help children and family in needs in Arkansas. And then after that, um, Dana White, president of the UFC, says, keep your purse. Let me make the donation. And then this is Bryce Mitchell's reaction to that. So uh, take a listen. I'm still going to give some money, you know. Um, but he told me, he said, don't give any of your money. It's going to be mine, and I'm going to take care of it. And uh, I'm still going to do something because I just need to. But there will be more than $45,000. We have people coming out of the woodwork. And uh, so I'm planting a seed. And um, we're going to watch this thing grow. And, you know, it's all about giving back. Like I said, this ain't going to be about just hurting people. When I'm done, we're going to help people. So that was Bryce Mitchell and what he thought. And this is all while he's sitting in a chair. His legs are beaten and bruised from Edson Barboza's leg kicks. Um, and he's just not, you know, you know, he's hurt and everything. And I'm sure not the normal person would be sitting through that, just not like like hissing and like, ah, like Edson Barboza's leg kicks were not checked. That's something that Bryce said that was a surprise in this fight was that he wasn't able to read the leg, uh, leg kicks and wasn't able to check them and defend them. Uh, but uh, you know what? That just gains the respect of another fighter to a fighter. You learn things from um, people who have done this. You've learned it through experience, and that's what life's all about. And Bryce Mitchell is embodying that, and I love this fighter. And he's become now one of my top five favorite fighters. Not, and I, I could safely say he was one of my favorite fighters before last night or Saturday night. So I'm really grateful for what he does for the community and what he is planning on doing. It has shown a lot of strength from a UFC fighter to another. Um, great stuff. That was the third fight uh, of that main card, Edson Barboza. Um, hold on. Before I go any further, I do want to play that audio clip from Edson Barboza. Edson. So this is my favorite uh, knockout of all time when uh, Joe Rogan had that insane uh, walk-off call here um i'm gonna load it up for you guys yeah i'm sure a lot of ufc fans know what this is and it, it really poses the question what do you want to do do you right. want to take a chance and risk getting knocked out Yeah, he couldn't have had. Literally, if you just watch the video, look up Edson Barboza uh, heel kick knockout. Uh, you'll find it. And uh, literally, right as Jorgen says, risk getting knocked out. Heel kick, spitting heel kick. One of my favorite knockout moments of all time, uh, courtesy of Edson Barboza. Still a legend. Bryce Mitchell said it best. Moving on to the co-main event. This is actually pretty, pretty storylined co-main event. Despite not having any fight in this card be a championship fight, this still was a storyline-ish Main event, Rafael Dos Anjos had a fight recently, got canceled. Islam Makachev coming off of his recent win was going to make this fight was going to make this fight really interesting, but he declined that offer for the fight. But then the UFC was like, "Okay, we're going to say Renato Moicano as this 
really, really tough fighter who is proven to be an absolute dog. I mean, this guy is an, just a really good athlete. Takes, you know, he's hard, he's hard to come by. And you go up against a guy like Rafael Dos Anjos, former welterweight championship, up at 162 pounds. So this is a catchweight co-main event. Mainly, uh, you don't see many of these kinds of co-main events, and then they become five-round co-main events. Rafael Dos Anjos absolutely dominated in this fight, and it was not any secret. However, Renato Moicano did not lose any stock in this fight at all. I am so surprised at this fight. Wants the whole distance. And I'm sure Rafael Dos Anjos wanted the knockout. But it goes to show the toughness, the mental capabilities, even through potentially not being able to see out of one eye after the third round. I think the second round, maybe, in the middle of it. Renato Mocano could not see probably half the fight out of that left eye, even though he was passing the doctor's test in between rounds to see whether or not he could see out of that eye. And um, what was it? Um... Who was refing that fight? Um, I don't know. Whoever the ref was wasn't stopping it. And I'm not, I don't disagree with it. It's the doctor's order. And he said it right at the, after the fourth round, which um, going into the fifth, uh, he said to – the ref said to uh, – um, my county was like, yeah, so if you don't show any good, like – action in the first 30 seconds we're calling this fight boom Moicano shows up in the first 30 seconds pulls up and has his best round of the fight and he gets the, he becomes the only fighter in this UFC card throughout the entire night to be sent to the hospital afterwards that's crazy Moicano is an absolute beast gains my respect after that fight that was that got good I was on the CTA coming back from Midway Airport watching that on my phone and I'm just like Crouched in my CTAC like, oh, he got him. He got him. Oh, no, this might be good. At the end, uh, in the fifth round, like, imagine if he knocked Rafael Dos Anjos out. That would have been – I would have embarrassed myself in public on the CTA. Anyways, I did get it, get back in time, back to the apartment in time for the main event of the night. And thank you to Delta Airlines for getting me back home safely and getting me back in time. And the CTA running on schedule for me to get back in time for this main event because I enjoyed it. It was Colby Covington versus Jorge Masvidal, the grudge match we have all been waiting for. These two were together at American Top Team, what uh, Colby Covington now calls American Trash Team. Uh, and they were former friends, former teammates, really good close friends, and uh, ended up Becoming enemies, you know? Kobe doesn't like that Jorge Masvidal sort of lies, and he's kind of deceiving and didn't really end up being, I don't know, it's just like drama stuff after drama stuff. You know what it, what it is sometimes uh, with some friendships. It happens. And these two just didn't happen. And they still are not happening right now. Like, uh, I thought it was funny. If you're watching the pay-per-view broadcast, I was Joe Rogan and Michael Bisming on the broadcast made a bet whether or not after this fight, Colby and Jorge would hug and uh, not even close. Like, these two genuinely do not like each other. Uh, they are sworn enemies. And uh, you got you to gotta, you gotta respect that, that, that type of rivalry because, you know, former teammates, now enemies, you punch each other in the face. And Colby was like, yeah, this, this fight could continue in the parking lot. But, of course, Jorge, you know, he's, he's just not 
conditioned enough. And Jorge said in his post-fight price conference, he was like, yeah, the wrestling wasn't there and everything. But, I mean, you're wrestling Kobe Covington. You're fighting Kobe Covington. What do you expect? This guy's a wrestling specialist. You have to be prepared for that. And Jorge wasn't. He just wasn't. And, um... Yeah, you see, he knew that. Uh, there was a couple of good de- takedown defenses by Jorge, but when Kobe was on top, he was controlling the fight. And that's what it came down to. And uh, Jorge got a couple good shots, and there was this one right hook that uh, he threw on Kobe and hit the jaw. Uh, I don't know, Usman did that in one of the fights, and it broke Kobe's jaw. So Kobe was wobbled a second. But Jorge said in his post-fight interview, he was like, yeah, he expected Kobe to counterattack with a takedown and Jorge was like okay I'm gonna reserve then but he didn't he that he, that was the biggest regret of the fight that he mentioned he was like yeah I should have attacked there I should have in that fight that was my moment to just win the fight and knock him out and smash his face and like I said I would from Jorge Masvidal's perspective and he should have that was the moment that was the moment of the fight that really, really, really was and could have been the game changer late in the fight. And it technically was because he gave us faith in Jorge and he kind of like ran a little bit from there. But then Kobe went back with the wrestling, got acquainted again. And still even um, when we look at the stats, let's look at these stats here uh, to kind of see how it all played out. Um, 218 total strikes. Uh, compared to the 90 by Jorge Masvidal. Wow, so what a extreme difference there. Uh, significant strikes, 94 to 67 in favor of Colby, and Colby with six takedowns on 15 attempts uh, and zero takedowns and zero attempts for Jorge. And uh, Colby Covington, some some submission attempts from the rear side, going for the naked choke. Um, couldn't get it done. So, uh, you know, from there on out, could not get it done. Kobe is looking to fight Dustin Poirier next. You know, as much as yes, and Usman, a third fight with Usman would be most, you know, ideal for him to get another title shot. Um, he wants to fight. If I were Kobe Covington right now, he doesn't. So this is where I talk about weight cutting. Is that he his natural weight is probably around 175, 180, 180. He's only losing five to 10 pounds for his weight cut. And he said, Colby said, in his, uh, you know, after the fight, he's like, yeah, I was able to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Not every fighter gets that opportunity. Heck, I didn't even always eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner this past week. And I don't even know how much weight I lost. <laughs> you know? Um, so Colby was able to cut the weight easy to 170, and now he's talking about fighting a lightweight in Dustin Poirier. However, Dustin Poirier walks around at 180 as well. So these are two guys that walk around around the same weight, yet one guy cuts even more than the other guy. And I think Colby, and what I respect him a lot for is, is he's sticking to his natural weight class. A lot of guys in MMA don't like doing that. Women especially, especially if they're, they feel like, you know, they're too small, they want to, like, gain muscle and go up to up to this weight class because that's the thing and i've mentioned it on this show many many times that the big problem with women mma in the ufc is that there's not enough weight classes for them because they feel constricted with the weight cutting and i don't think that's right there should be a 145 for women's at least 
at the very least, there should be a 145 class. I know there's three right now, or I think four, 115, 125, and 135. So three. Three women's weight classes. You know, I would like to see more, like 145. Give them a chance to uh, be able to bulk up and, you know, have a comfortable weight cut. Because you don't want to feel like you always have to cut to 135. That's just not healthy sometimes. Um, you know, from a male perspective, you know, you look at the 265 heavyweight class, like there's really no weight cut that is involved in that. You just got to be continuously bulking up and stuff like that. But then you talk about in this situation with Colby Covington, he doesn't have to cut any weight and he's expecting to fight a guy in Dustin Poirier. Like, yeah, come down to welterweight. But I think Colby Covington needs to cut the weight. Prove himself right here. Because... If he does want another title shot with Usman, Colby could very well cut to 155, fight at lightweight, make it a lightweight main event so that it could raise both of their fighters' stocks. And whoever wins and whoever loses, I don't know how much that will affect their, their current weight class and their status in it. Colby's not fighting in his weight class. He's not fighting on 170s while well, fighting at 155. So him losing to Dustin Poirier, if it does happen... How that affect that won't really affect him much at 170. It'll it'll affect more if Dustin Poirier loses his own weight class at 155. Maybe Dustin, maybe if Kobe really wants to be the champion, can he foresee himself be the champion at 155? But keep in mind that's another 15 pounds you have to lose. So does Kobe want to do that? I know I won't. <laughs> my my sugar needing body needs to not have to cut an extra 15 pounds. That was totally me in high school when I didn't want to cut an extra 12 pounds when I had, like, enough body fat to do it. So, hey, you know what? I was focused on my studies just as well. I didn't want to have to, like, continually starve myself week in and week out. Like, that's not healthy. That's, like, that's why I'm saying is, like, some women fighters who are, like, walking around 150 or something can't cut down to 135. You'll give them a 145. Come of a featherweight. Anyways, we're getting a little prolonged here. Um, next fight event, next weekend, March 12th, we got Thiago Santos against Magomed Ankalaev as your lightweight, light heavyweight main event. Got a nice bantamweight co-main event between Marlon Marias and Song Yadong. That's a good one right there. Uh, Marlon Marias, I think he's on a losing stretch right now. Let's see what he got here. Uh, he is, in 2021, he lost to Marav Davalishvili, one of my current favorite fighters, and then he lost to Corey Sandhagen, he lost to the Rob Fon in 2020, 2019, he beat Rafael Antsunkaya, and that was his last win, uh, and then he lost to Henry Cejudo in, uh, his championship fight, so since his championship fight, he is 1-3, so a big win against Yasong Yadong, who in his last fights, I think this is the most interesting fight in this card for this weekend, to be honest with you. Because Song Gadong, he has two and three in his last three fights. He beat Casey Kenny and Julio Arce, and he lost to Kyler Phillips by a five-minute decision at UST 259. So I'm looking forward to a good co-man event between two, two of these guys, and the winner will advance in their UST career. It's my eyes. Uh, could be Marlon Marais' last fight. So it may be worth paying attention to if you're a Bantamweight fan. Um, 
But that should be all I got for you in terms of UFC. Next big event is UFC 273. That is uh, the rematch between um, Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling at um, flyweight. Well, not flyweight. Bantamweight, uh, perhaps. And then they're also doing featherweight as the main event between uh, the Korean Zombie and... Alexander Volkanovsky. So that's going to be a good night of fights. I'll be able to hopefully get a chance to talk about that when the time comes. Uh, but as far as that is, uh, I don't know, is the symphony orchestra done behind me? I haven't been really paying it. It, it was so loud that I was doing show prep the past hour before the show. So I don't know if they're gone, but they were beautifully sounded. So whoever was playing here in Building A between the hours of 7 and 9... I think it was 7 to 9 on March 7th. Good job. Beautifully, beautifully done by whoever, Harper, Symphony Orchestra, whatever they are. I enjoyed it. All right. I hope you enjoyed the last segment coming up. I got a, I'm going to do a little bit of soccer, just a little bit, and then I got a couple of announcements for a new blog and a partially new podcast. Cut up here on the 226th installment of Monday Man of Sports Talk. We'll be back in just a bit. Stay tuned. Come back to the madness. This is Noah Festenstein. Bringing you into the final segment of today's show. This is Experience. Featuring Victoria Monet, Khalid, and S.G. Lewis. Right, so let's talk some soccer or football, whatever you call it. Uh, MLS season just started. Some really good highlights so far already. Austin FC 10 combined goals in their first two games. Uh, Chicago Fire gasped, grasped, I don't know what, gasped, grasped, whatever you call it. Two points in their first two games, so at least they haven't lost yet. Uh, and I'm looking forward to being at more of their home games this season. It's going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait to experience some more Chicago Fire soccer, especially with Shakiri coming in from European football. Got some Gabriel Salina going in. Uh, he's part of the United States men's na- national team roster um, as the senior member. So uh, that's going to be interesting to experience uh, from a very young talent that is gabriel selena so you got a lot of good things happening with the chicago fire at least some progress new coach with uh with ezra uh it's gonna be some changes i think in the formations and the strategies and they're already seeing that feel that the fire is a bit more uh um calculated with their uh transitions from defense to the um the final third of the field in in which they set up attacks and i think that that's a bit more fluent from what I've seen so far. Uh, so hopefully that they can use that against teams like, um, you know, those who can score three goals in a game. you got to be prepared, especially uh, give Gabriel Solsonia some backup in defense. Uh, Going to be some very important pieces to this puzzle for this uh, fire um, Chicago Fire team that would really, really help um, carry them 
to higher places in the MLS standings. They just got to be top seven. They just got to be top seven. That's it. And then you can make the playoffs from there. I think the number one teams, the only teams that get a first-round buy, so just be top seven. That's all I care about. And I said it already in the show. Playoffs are a new breed. It's bad. Even in the MLS. Uh, Chicago Fire eighth. Even though that doesn't matter, two games in. Um, they got two points. Uh, Charlotte FC, one of the newest teams, just made history this past week, becoming the highest intended game in MLS history. 75,000 fans in Charlotte to watch their soccer team play. I applaud you, Charlotte. Even though you have a negative four goal differential to show for it, you should be proud of yourselves for making that history. That's crazy. Um, so, yeah, Atlanta United. When I was in Atlanta the other day, I ran into some people who were from Atlanta and uh, go to Mercedes-Benz for almost all the games, and they said the, the environment there is crazy, and I believe it. So now, all of a sudden, I want to go back to Atlanta to go experience an Atlanta United game because that looks like a lot of fun uh, being at Mercedes-Benz Arena. Probably a cheaper way to attend that, that arena or that stadium is a soccer game, so that might be a good way to attend it. Uh, Philadelphia Union, New England, Orlando City, Columbus, D.C. United, and the New York Red Bulls, and, of course, the defending champs, New York City FC, are the teams that I'm looking out for and maybe making it a tough season for this fire team. Uh, looking at the Western Conference, of course, Austin, their best start to their franchise in their franchise history to a, to a season. Ten goals combined in their first two games. L.A. Galaxy in second. Uh, LAFC, Nashville, Real Salt Lake, Colorado, Sporting uh, KC, Portland, Minnesota. I'm looking forward to seeing and FC Dallas. Those are your teams that I'm looking forward to in the MLS this season. And, of course, as time goes on, I'll make some updates and talk about it, especially since I'll be experiencing a lot of Chicago Fire home games this season. Uh, I'll probably be talking about that um, as time goes on. So uh, let's look at what's to come in European football because the highlights of this week is leg two of the round of 16 happening in UEFA Champions League. Uh, so let's uh, get into what we are going to see tomorrow. Now, I just got Paramount Plus yesterday, $4.99 a month. Now, I don't think the $4.99 a month to the $8 or $9.99 a month plan differs too much because um, no matter what live sport you're watching at Paramount Plus, there's always going to be commercials. And then... TV shows you'll get and movies you'll probably get a commercial or two, um, so that's the big difference between the two. Uh, so that's how I'm going to be watching my uh, Champions League, especially tomorrow. Uh, we're going to see some really really good matches, uh, especially on Wednesday. Wednesday is my highlighted day. Uh, tomorrow we got aggregate score for the, from the first leg between Bayern Munich and RB Salzburg. One to one is that score. At the same time, at two o'clock tomorrow. We have Liverpool and Inter. Liverpool is winning two to nothing against Inter Milan, uh, so we'll see that tomorrow at two. And then on Wednesday at two, we got two other games to watch. We've got Sporting Portugal against Manchester City, who just dismantled my very own Manchester United four to one. Uh, they're winning by aggregate five nothing, so it looks like Manchester City, barring a miraculous comeback by Sporting Portugal, uh, will be moving on to the. Uh, elite eights, as you may call it, in Champions League soccer. Uh, and then my personal favorite game to look forward to, I think Real Madrid and PSG is what I'm looking forward to most because you got no... I don't think... Um, 
Well, Messi hasn't really been playing that well, and PSG didn't have a good game against their one of their League One opponents the other day. So um, it could be anyone's game when you go to this game's being played in Madrid. So uh, I'd watch out PSG. I think they got their whole midfield gone because of yellow, yellow cards. It was just I think like nine or ten yellow cards combined in the first leg, or something. So that's a problem because in Champions League draw, you've got if you get two penalties, or if you get a yellow card, you're out. You're out for the next game. That's a rule in Champions League. I, I I've always thought that was a weird rule. I guess it exists. So we have to live with it. Okay. Okay. So next week we got Manchester United against Atletico Madrid. Now, do I have high expectations? From Manchester United's fan perspective, that they can make it far in this Champions League, even if they do win this match. Now, based on the way they've been playing in the Premier League, not that much. They're not comfortably sitting fifth behind what is potentially a spot to qualify for next year's Champions League. Manchester United is not in a position to do that in their own league. So that might as well take advantage of the moment. You got Ronaldo. You got some good pieces right now on this team. Can he get it together, at least in the Champions League? Now, it's one-to-one in aggregate. For now. But when it becomes a hot mess at Old Trafford, because United isn't controlling the ball, don't be surprised. I hope uh, Old Trafford's going to be loud on Tuesday, March 15th at 3 o'clock Central Standard Time here in the United States. I am going to be watching that. I'm going to be having my Manchester United jersey on, and I'm going to be rooting. Maybe place a couple bets. I don't know. They took out the away goals rule, so uh, if it's tied, the away goals rule, if you had more away goals rule after the aggregate's tied after 180 minutes, though the team with more away goals moves on. Now it doesn't matter. You're going to overtime regardless if it's tied. So this is going to be interesting. That's UA for Champions League. That's the biggest thing that's going on right now this week in soccer, I'd say. So let's not talk Premier League until that time has to come, all right? And then you got MLS. So enjoy it. And then the World Cup is later this year. Um, big news. And, you know, obviously with everything going on in the world with uh, the UEFA Champions League and happening, you know, it was supposed to be in St. Petersburg, but they made the decision to not be in host there. I don't blame them with everything going on in Russia. Um, but my heart goes out to Ukraine. I hope everybody is uh, doing the best they can there to be safe and i mean i can't fathom what's going on over there so uh um safe to say i don't think anything significant is happening in terms of events in russia be it based on political uh, opinions and everything going on there sports the sports world has been shaken up a little bit by it um so it's just a weird time right now in the world and i hope everyone's living through it in the best of their abilities and uh i see slow uh COVID slowing down so that's great uh, mass mandates are winding down. Uh, personally, I'm still wearing it, but, uh, you know, I will always respect a personal decision if I see one that is, of course, uh, encouraged or passionate, but passionable 
Um, so that is the end of the sports talk today. Uh, I want to make a couple quick announcements before I end the show. Um, I announced the, uh, the other day um, on social media that um, I'm going to be starting another blog. Now, uh, when I was up for like nearly 22 hours on Saturday from taking a plane at 6 a.m., going to Atlanta, taking an Uber to Six Flags over Georgia, Ubering back at around 6, waiting two hours in the airport for my flight. Um, my legs sore from walking 25,000 steps. Everything to then watching UFC 272, the final three fights of the card, on my way back, catching Colby Covington fight. Everything considered that I did on Saturday, I was able to realize that I love this stuff so much. I'm going to start another blog. I'm going to start another podcast-ish. Now, this is going to take some time to work on. I, I've already wrote my first article. I've already written some stuff, but I'm not publishing it yet because i still got some editing to do to it. But I'm thinking about a blog to do theme park reviews. I want to go to different places around the world, go to different places around the country especially, and while I'm doing that, I visit new places, visit new ballparks, go to a go to a when I'm going to Fenway and I, I hope I get to do it. Rob Manfred, I hope you're listening. A little boy's wish over here wants to go to Fenway in September. Make it happen. I'm the little boy, if you want to I don't know. I guess. I'm just a little boy. So please send me to Fenway. Please. So that's what I want to do in September. You know, maybe go to Six Flags New England or Dollywood or um, Pittsburgh has a really nice park where they have the only roller coaster that is themed after a sport in the world. There's only one. I'm sure there's maybe another that I don't know about, but in terms of like notable ones, the only notable sports themed roller coaster in the world is in Pittsburgh, and it's name it's at Kennywood. It's at Kennywood Theme Park. An underrated theme park, in my opinion. They have a coaster called... Um, gosh, I just had a brain fart. Um, what was the Steelers' nickname? Um, gosh, what's it called? I can't believe that I forgot what this is called. Hold on. Um... That's right, Steel Curtain. I was like thinking of like what did like the defense call themselves for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they called themselves the Steel Curtain. So, Steel Curtain is an SNS manufactured coaster, and the guy who manufactured who built it also built Max Force at Six Flags Great America, which is one of my favorite roller coasters. He built this roller coaster themed after the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's the only roller coaster ever named after a sport. Fun fact of the day. Brought to you by your well-known, loved coaster enthusiast, Noah Festenstein. And, of course, loved host of Monday Man of Sports Talk. It's been a good show today. Um, so look out for any other updates for my podcast, my new podcast. Um, I do have a name for it, but I'm not publishing it yet. So you guys got to be patient about that. Um, even with the blog, the blog and the podcast have different names, but I'm still developing it. It could be, it could be a couple weeks. It could be a month. It could be more than that. I'm still laying the ground work done. And I'm also collecting information. Me going to Magic Mountain, me going to over Georgia, me going to, uh, St. Louis in a little bit. I'm collecting 
information so that I can create use my experience for the benefit of you who may want to go to these places and be like, yeah, no one was right. This was awesome. You know, um, so I just want to live life while I'm young. I want to live it. I want to be crazy. Live young, wild, and free. That I am not copywriting from Snoop Dogg. I promise you. And Wiz Khalifa, I love you too. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, so, yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was a good show to come back to after a long ways away. I thought it was. I loved it. Um, so big things coming out of baseball. Hopefully in the next week or two. And then at least some progress. And then basketball, March Madness next week. I, I think Selection Sunday should be on Sunday. Um, obviously, it's not on a Monday, right? So I'll do my Selection Monday picks on that show for next Monday. Um, I am creating a group, so if you're interested, let me know. Let me know. And then, of course, UFC happened. Some more fights are happening. What a great fight weekend it was. And, of course, ending the show talking about some sucker. Some sucker! So thank you so much for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure serving your sports needs today. Here on the beautiful airwaves of 88.3 FM, Harper College Radio. It's been an absolute gift sharing my love of sports with you. And I hope you enjoy uh, enjoyed it. Join me next time. This has been the 226th installment of Money Mass Sports Talk. And I will see you guys next time.